Welcome to the Hope Revolution messages. You'll be able to find our sermon podcast at hoperevolution.church forward slash sermon, as well as all other podcast players. We hope you enjoy this message. Can anyone remember last week what the message was about? The gospel, looking through the lens of the gospel and how life looks very, very different through the lens of the gospel. And I think there's this, there's this revelation that's really mind-blowing that when you realise that the whole of scripture is written through the lens of the gospel and those that got it then walked out and lived through the lens of the gospel, making decisions and the way they looked at people, the way they, and we landed in that place of the way we looked at ourselves and often we don't actually look at ourselves through the lens of the gospel. And Paul, even when he made mistakes, it wasn't a surprise because I gave a really simple way of understanding the gospel, three parts. First part, we're sinners, brokenness. There's brokenness in the world, there's sin in the world, there's hurt in the world. The solution to that is a gift that's given from God that's a free gift, but it's a gift that is an abundant, powerful, generous, complete gift. It's not half-baked, but it's something that God gives us. And the conclusion to that is to restore that which is broken, freedom and fullness of life. And last week we were talking about looking through the lens of the gospel. And this week, I want to talk about reflecting the gospel. And I want to start by you thinking about your own life and thinking about a a significant event, a significant season where you could see your own brokenness. You could see your own lostness, your own sin, your separation from God, your separation from his good design and what God actually did in that place. What, what was it that actually did God provide out of his goodness, out of his grace? Not that you earned, not that you labored for, but that you received. And then what was the outcome of that? Just ponder that for a second. Can you think about a time, a season? And for some people, they immediately go, oh, the point at which I gave my life to Jesus. Brilliant, absolutely, good example. But it doesn't have to be that time. There's many times, and I would argue many times that we recognize and sometimes we don't recognize, that this process of the gospel actually happens. The gospel is being lived constantly by us where there's brokenness and sin, God provides a gift that was undeserved in his power and his love and the result of that was restoring that which was broken. Just have a think about that for a second. And I want to challenge that. Not challenge the experience, not challenge what God did, because I am absolutely convinced that God does that. But if we're talking about reflecting the gospel, this is a book called Light on the Human Heart 
written by a guy called Colin Patterson. Yes, the name is, he's my uncle. So this is what he writes, and it's, it's quite confronting, it's quite challenging. Just have a listen to this. In the eyes of most secularists, talking about those in our society that don't believe in God, we Christians have unsupportable beliefs, and while many of us might be nice people, there seems to them to be a rotten or at least a hypocritical core at the heart of the whole Christian endeavour. Maybe, so they might say, if we believers took a little bit more care to follow Jesus, our professed Lord, we might do a little bit better. I would like to suggest that underlying these attitudes, there is a common assumption, which helps partly, this is not everything, but partly to explain why secular people are so closed to the message we want them to hear. In short, those with a secular mindset believe that we worship a weak God. Let me repeat that. In short, those with a secular mindset believe that we worship a weak God. To them, the Christian God does not seem to be able to do much, certainly much less than is claimed for him. It is true, many secularists hold that Christians make a contribution to our society in terms of caring for others, but why, they wonder, do you need to be a Christian to do that? Many people care for their neighbours and for those in need without any expectation of reward in the afterlife, in the hereafter. These considerations lead many secularists to view Christians as mostly inoffensive, but sometimes annoying do-gooders. And they might add, look at how they are losing influence and numbers. Before long, they will be an insignificant remnant, bypassed by the rapid progress our society is achieving. It's an interesting thought that the world sees the reflection of God in us of a weak God. That's pretty confronting. You go, hang on a minute, God's not weak. I agree, God is not weak. And we have reflected this morning on the almighty power of God that is able to raise Jesus from the dead. Like that is the sort of power that our God holds. But that is not, according to Colin, what our society sees. It's not what they see reflected. And our natural response, which Colin talks at length about, our dominance motive, is to get defensive and go, hang on a minute, that's not right, that's not how it is. I'm sorry to say, I think he might be right. If we just let our guard down for a minute, we say God is our provider until the interest rates go up and we're under stress and we fall apart a little bit. We say God is the, it gives us love and yet we get selfish. We say God is our strength until 
the coffee machine's not working and we can't have our caffeine fix in the morning or our sugar rush or whatever that props us up to get us through the day. We say God is abundant in his mercy and yet there's a bitterness in us against those that did injustice against us. When push comes to shove, when it comes to that point of making decisions, we often cave. We often, and Colin's point is, is more along the lines of we often want to fit in. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to look different. We don't want to look like a fool. We want to blend in. We want to feel like we belong. And it causes us to look like there are things that are more powerful than God. Now we know in our hearts it's not true, but our reflection of it doesn't reflect that often. And it's quite a challenging place to come to, to realize that when I reflect God to the world, when I represent the gospel, I'm a little spineless. I care more about the people around me, what they think, than I do about the message that the Almighty was prepared to sacrifice his son for. I want to fit in. It's really interesting that the book of Acts is smothered, is oozing, is overflowing with the opposite of our posture. It starts with a group of people that are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? They were lost and aimless. They were disillusioned. They didn't know they were going. They were just following the last instruction they given to just wait. But they weren't anything to be proud about, to be reflective of God. And God met them in that place. And what was the conclusion? 5,000 became believers that day. Why? Because they fitted in and they made sure that they you know, didn't stir anyone up. No. Because the power of God was at work. It wasn't even them. It was the gospel that was the, the, the transforming part. It was the fact that they didn't worship a weak God, but a God that was powerful and transforming. And from that moment on, story after story after story after story is the reflection of the gospel. People saw the gospel and their lives were transformed. I stopped last week just before the punchline, and of course you all went away and read it. <laughs> There's a number of circumstances where people end up in jail in the book of Acts. And in this particular circumstance, there's an earthquake, all the doors fly open, and the jailer's about to kill himself. That's his conclusion. That's how hopeless he is about his circumstance. And in the darkness, they call out and say, it's okay, we have not left. 
we're still here. Your prisoners are still here. It's a ridiculous, mind-blowing story that doesn't make sense apart from an almighty, powerful God that's gracious and give gifts that don't, aren't deserved. What sort of a prisoner doesn't take the opportunity to be free when there's a miraculous circumstance that means that you could be free? A prisoner who wants to reflect the gospel and the power of God at work. The jailer's response, how do I become saved? There is clearly a power at work here that is above and beyond me and do you not even hear that there's a testimony shared? They just say, we're still here. And he goes, I want what you've got. <laughs> it's amazing. We hear, and it's, it's bizarre, because there's so much that you see Paul interacting with people that are not written. He goes and encourages people, spends two years there. Nothing written about what he says. And it happens time and time again. And yet, Paul's story of the power of the gospel in his life is repeated three times at length. The first one is when Luke actually tells the story of it. Acts 9. We then hear that Barnabas shares that with the apostles, but it's not actually written out again. It just says Barnabas tells the story. But then in Acts 22... Paul is sharing the truth of God. There is a riot that he's created. And while they are trying to kill him, the commander of the, the army comes in and go. he just happened to be in town, happens to say, let's pull you aside and take you away. And Paul says to him, can I just have a word with you for a second? And he's like, Sure. Can I address the crowd? Does that sound like a weak God to you? Does that sound like he wants to blend in? He does not care about the human thinking. He really wants them to know the gospel. And he goes and shares with rioting people who, want to, who are killing him, they were in the process of killing him when the commander stepped in, to share with them the story of why he's doing what he's doing. To explain why he looks crazy, why he doesn't fit in. Chapter 26 Another full explanation written out of Paul's story. This time, he's at the governor Festus and they're trying to work out what to do with him. He hangs out with Festus for two years and Festus actually likes talking to him. Sorry, that's not true. It was the previous governor that he spends two years with. Festus replaces that governor and he's like, what are we going to do with this guy? Like, I need to get some good counsel. He goes, I know, King Agrippa and his sister Bernice are going to be in town. They're coming to pay their respect to, to Governor Festus. I'll ask them. And so when they're there, they have this all pomp and ceremony of them coming in with the officials and whatnot. 
And Paul says, hey, can I tell you a story? And he wants to tell the story of his almighty, powerful God and why he is where he is and what, what his circumstances are. What got him there? It's interesting that we use the word testimony as a way of explaining the story of God's transforming power in our life. And that's, that's pretty good. But in both of these cases, it's also like a legal testimony. <laughs> he's testifying why he's not crazy. Why he's not off the rails and why what he's doing makes absolutely perfect sense when you understand about a powerful God that is transforming lives. We like to do this testimony, but I would argue, based on what Colin says, we have very little opportunity to do the other sort of testimony, to explain ourselves, because we fit in. No one's asking, why on earth are you crazy? You look crazy to me, can you explain it? We'll go, no, I don't want to look crazy. I don't want to stand out. I want to belong. I want friends. I want workmates that get along with me. And so we, we look with wishful thinking at an opportunity to give this sort of testimony. And yet we really resist this sort of testimony to having to justify ourselves. And nobody wants this. Nobody wants to hear what we have to say to them because our lives often don't reflect an almighty God. They don't care because there's nothing to care about. It doesn't even look like a better option than what they've got now. And for me, that's a little scary and confronting that my life reflects a weak God. That's hard to take. And today, I want us to make one step, just one step, in the direction of saying, God, not only do I know that you are almighty, not only do I know that you are merciful, compassionate, my provider, my source of life, my strength. Not only do I know that, but Lord, today I want to take one step in the direction of reflecting that. Immediately, when I explain what we're doing, for a lot of you, you're going to freak out. It's not scary. I'm telling you now, it's not, there is nothing scary or confronting about what we're going to do. But when you have to do something that is vulnerable or that is different, immediately our response is, I want to fit in. I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to look like an idiot. Can you tell me what the gospel response is to that? What is the gospel response to not wanting to look like an idiot? Just think about last week. Think about the three steps of the gospel. You already did look like an idiot because you were a sinner. Who said you were going to perform well? Who said it was about you? 
the best part of the picture is not you. So if you stuff it up, guess what's going to happen? You get an opportunity to trust God more. Yay, win. If you don't stuff it up, you've got an opportunity to reflect God more. Yay, win. Who loses in a gospel picture? Nobody loses. You've been lied to. That said, when you put out there, when you're bold, when you step up, when you, when you show love that looks stupid, when you forgive when it's not deserved, when you, when you share the, the truth of God when it's not received, you kept getting told that that was failure. You cannot lose in a gospel picture. If you have warped ideas, yes, you can lose. But with the lens of the gospel and reflecting the gospel, you cannot lose. The worst conclusion is you get killed and get to go and spend eternity with your saviour. That is the worst that they can do to you. And that is victory. This is, the, this is the problem with the way we frame our thinking about our choices. Because we, we look at all these scenarios without the lens of the gospel and without reflecting the gospel and we wonder why it doesn't work. Because it was never meant to work that way. It was never about you. It was always about God. Just think about this, right? You've just gone into Pakenham Central. You've started a riot because you started telling people about Jesus. They're trying to kill you. And before you leave, you just want to say, can I just explain myself? Do you think Paul was optimistic at that point? about what he was achieving? Now, I don't know the answer. I'm just guessing. Yes, because he had seen God come through in him speaking with crowds before. Yeah. When he turned on that, turned on, no, this is how it is. Yep. And God honoured his words. Yeah. Yeah, he could have been very optimistic because he'd seen God do it before. He could have been very pessimistic because they weren't, a very receptive crowd, right? It actually doesn't matter. Just wrestle with that for a second. It doesn't matter because his whole life revolved around a redeeming God. Their response was not his problem. His reflection was absolutely his problem. He says at the start of his book of Romans, he hasn't actually been to Rome. He desperately wants to get to Rome. He wants to meet the believers in Rome. And so he talks about how he's prayed for them and desires to be with them. And, and then he says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Now what's interesting is why he says that. Because just before that, he says, I'm really eager to come to you because I carry a deep obligation. A 
deep obligation to share the good news of Jesus with people. This wasn't a sideshow. This wasn't something that, that he was doing on his weekends. His life revolved around reflecting the gospel to the world. And as Jesus followers, that is our lives. There's many, many creative ways you can do it. There's not one size fits all. Reflecting the gospel doesn't look the same in every circumstance, in every place. Apart from the fact it looks like broken people, a God that provides and lives restored. It always looks like that. But how that's done is different in every circumstance. And today, the step I want us to take is a step of boldness to simply write down two things. Some people are going to go, oh, writing stuff down, I can't spell. My handwriting's terrible. Get over it. We're talking about an almighty God. Like, seriously, it's not about you. It's about reflecting an almighty God. And then you go, ah, what am I going to write down? What am I going to put, put on the bit of paper? What if I get it wrong? What if, what if people don't understand? What if, what? Step in that direction. Give it a crack. Is God powerful or not? If he's powerful, then, then I'm just really just exhorting you to step and take a step and give it a go. And all I want you to write down is on one side of the piece of cardboard, write something about your brokenness. Something that was broken, that wasn't how it was meant to be, that wasn't God's good design for your life. And on the other side, I want you to either write what God did in that space or what the result was. So on the first side, what it looked like beforehand, and then on the second side, what God did or what it looked like afterwards. Now that can be a bit scary because at the end of the exercise, I'm going to get everybody to come up, not say anything. I don't want to hear any words. I just want you to hold your card up on the first side, wait five seconds, and then turn it over for everybody to see. Now some people go, yeah, it's easy, that's fine. You know, Paul stands up in front of people and talks all the time. But when it gets to things of the heart and things that God's done in your life, you go, oh, hang on, that's a bit more personal now. There's some people that go, I don't stand up in front of people. I really believe this exercise is not just a nice idea. I believe it is a step of faith. It's a step of boldness and it's a step of believing that you and I trust a powerful God. And I believe that it's an exercise that is spiritual as well as practical. Because it says I'm not going to believe the lies that I've been told about who I am and about who God is. I'm going to lean on my understanding of who God is in this scenario. So I'm going to make it a little bit easier for you. I'm going to play a video 
of this exercise being done in another church. And what that means is you've got a cheat sheet. <laughs> right? You can look at, look at those ones and go, oh, okay, is that what that person wrote? Oh, there's no right answer. Before and after, that's it. It's your story, it's your words. I'd encourage you to write minimal words, um, not lots of words. Just keep it simple. But the idea is we want to engage and reflect what the gospel means to us. And so we're going to wrestle with that. I'm also going to show you what I wrote down. Here's one I prepared earlier. So this is what I wrote. That's it. There's something really beautiful I like about this exercise and what I like about it is the gospel is not about us, it's about God and it's our reflection of God. And I love that these people stood up there and didn't say anything because there's something beautiful about not saying something and allowing the words just reflect and for people to receive and I love the idea of our lives doing that too. We often do want to talk quickly and defend ourselves, sometimes not always healthily. But today I want us to reflect the gospel. And um, I don't know about you, just watching those things, you go, wow, that's not a weak God. In different ways, in different expressions, everything that was said reflected a God that is powerful. God that is real, that is tangible and is doing the work today of restoring people's lives. And that is exciting and that is what we want to participate in and reflect. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions or feedback, please email us at hello at hoperevolution.church.